This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. This week on Discovery, we get an insight into the millennial mind with Shalee Zabakis and Afua Ba, who explore the cultural phenomenon that is Squid Game, a show carried by streamer Netflix. Never heard of it? In brief, it is a Korean competition show that quickly became one of Netflix's biggest hits. The show features players fighting for their lives partaking in various Korean children's games, and every challenge brings the possibility of serious injury or death. Some might call it the real-life Hunger Games. Another mark of its popularity is there is now a course being offered at the University of Toronto. Today, Afu and Chaliza are joined with Professor Paolo Granada, creator of the course Squid Games and the Media. Professor Granada shares all the themes that will be explored in this fourth-year course, and we learn more about why it is such a phenomenon. We also hear from Pindi Janda, a pharmacist and director of procurement at Imperial Distributors Canada in her three-part series, Pharmacast. Pindi has Dr. Edward Fang join her as they explore the divide between pharmacists and doctors and how community pharmacists bridge that gap, resulting in better health care for patients. With feet in both camps, Dr. Fang is the perfect person to explore how a better working relationship can be established. First up, however, a case of academia mirroring pop culture, a course in Squid Games. What's going on? You're listening to 105.9 The Region. This is the Millennial Balance Podcast. We're back. I'm Shaliza Bacchus. I'm Afua Ball. We back indeed. And it's finally summer. It's summer. We outside. It's hot. Oh, I'm all for it. It's been a hot week. <laughs> I'm all for um, it. Yeah, we can, uh, we can differ on that one. <laughs> okay, fine. My hair's not liking it. Oh. It's not. It's just poof, it's as soon as I walk fest? outside. Yeah, oh, it really dear. is. It really is. But anyway, uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. I'm sure we could go on for hours about uh, true, hair true. issues. True. But uh, we're, are you a fan of Squid Game on Netflix? Okay, uh, full disclosure, have not watched it yet. Really? Yeah. Okay, but you know what it's about? I can get uh, yeah, I can get a quick premise of of what it is. Yeah. So yeah. basically what I'll say, I'm going to say it's like it's like The Hunger Games. I didn't in watch person. the Hunger Games either. Okay, so there's... Like, <laughs> why are we here, Afwa? You could have at least pretended. <laughs> you know what? But this is the perfect opportunity to sort of, you know... Okay. You know, You're reeling it back exactly. in. There we go. Well, honestly, I, I wasn't really that interested in it at mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. But it just completely blew up on social media. There were mm-hmm. memes all over the place. And everyone was talking about it. And I was like, okay, I need to watch this show. And I watched it and... Hooked? Oh, okay. It's interesting. Oh, okay. It's it's interesting. But uh, would you ever th- consider taking a course on Squid Game? You know what? I mean, why not? I mean, ba- back in university, we always had those elective courses. Yeah. And honestly, some of those courses were a little bit dry. I wish we would have had more pop culture related type courses there in order for me to sort of still be engaged. So yeah, I'm all for yeah, it. Yeah. And I love that a lot more universities are doing this mm-hmm. now. So the University of Toronto is bringing a Squid Game course. Okay. And it is led by Professor Paolo Granata. Hey, Paolo, how are you? Hello, I'm great. How are you? We're good. Thanks for joining us. So you are an associate professor in book and media studies at U of T. So tell us how the the premise of this course came to your mind. Well, uh, at the book and media studies program, we have a special model. So studying media in real time. And so when uh, just a matter of weeks, uh, Squid Game became uh, the most watched uh, TV series ever on Netflix, I said, okay, that cannot be just labeled as a 
uh, hyperbasic phenomenon. There must be some reason for uh, this uh, popularity. And so eventually to study media in real time, I started uh, wondering uh, how we can put together uh, a course to explore uh, all the implications of the squid game in our contemporary media environment. Can you talk to maybe some of the themes that you're going to be you know, discussing or that you found that are interesting that you want to show to students? Right, right, sure, absolutely. So essentially, we're going to explore the variety of uh, questions and issues uh, raised by, by the Squid Game. We're going to use uh, different methodologies and lens, right, to understand the phenomenon. And so, for instance, um, codes and, and symbols, uh, semiotics, for instance, is a discipline that enables uh, to really uh, understand the meaning of all those uh, symbols and codes uh, encapsulated into the into the movie, or um, the impact of Squid Game in contemporary culture. There are some uh, ethical uh, questions and issues, and so we will use some. Uh, methodologists from philosophy and ethics to better analyze um, this phenomenon, and then politics, sociology, there are some uh, sociological theories that can help, right, to to understand how to frame the squid game uh, anti-capitalist approach uh, and frame it again as a, as a contemporary phenomenon. So we're going to put all together these different disciplines in the field of humanities, not to, well, mentioning also linguistic, cinematic, dramaturgical aspects. And so from these different perspectives, from different, using different lens, uh, Again, uh, exploring why uh, Squid Game uh, got so popular, why Squid Game was able to really uh, fire the global imagination, uh, take the, the world by storm. And I love that you mentioned all of that because I feel like uh, your average person will just hear this and be like, well, why do I need to take a course on a TV show? Like, that's so stupid, these kids these days. But I love how you elaborated on that. And there are so many different like academic themes that are embedded into this show. And I love that it's coming to the forefront. Yes, absolutely. And also, you know, well, I, I look forward to learning from my students, learning from the student perspective how to, uh, again, start uh, reflecting upon uh, hyperbuzzing phenomenon and then together, right, conceiving uh, higher education as, a, as an ongoing process, as a collaborative process. All students will be playing with me, they will be the players. So, well, I would say that I will be playing as well with them uh, in, order, <laughs> in order to really <clears throat> create a, a collaborative, ongoing process of understanding what's going on in, the, in, in our media, media environment. When you were watching it firsthand, could you maybe see why this particular series gained such popularity? There are so many shows on Netflix um, that are open to millennials, but why did this one catch fire so quickly? Well, there are a few, I think, um, keys that uh, enabled the, and were able to boost the worldwide uh, um, success of this um, uh, series. For, for instance, uh, the the reference to infancy, right? so the, to the season of uh, children and children games, uh, so we all 
like uh, to play, right? Play is one of the most uh, um, and the deepest uh, aspects of human life. Where we like playing, we spend a lot of time playing. And so conceiving life as a play and uh, the survivor players in the, in the TV series, so no spoiler, but uh, the, the players in the game actually, they struggle to survive by playing children's, children's games. And so I think uh, gaming, the, the, the very nature of play, is a, is, a, is a key factor that really generated a lot of interest because we all like to play. We all we start uh, our uh, uh, symbolic life uh, by playing when, when we were child. And so this is, a, I think, an important factor. Another factor is that uh, there are many ethical implications, ethical dilemmas embedded into this, uh, into this movie. So the players uh, must uh, take some choice and taking the right choice is always uh, uh, struggling, is always difficult. So uh, the fact that uh, there are a few ethical dilemmas uh, embedded into the game, I think, in the, into the TV series, I think it's another key factor for uh, um, the planetary uh, success of, uh, of Squid Game. A third, I think, uh, important as well aspect is that uh, it's a... It's a it's a twist and an important uh, somehow uh, highlight of the South Korean uh, uh, culture, South Korean pop culture, right? On the same, uh, the, the so-called Korean uh, wave, uh, interest on uh, from from songs like uh, um, uh, Gangnam Style to Parasite. So there is a lot of interest for uh, the South Korean uh, culture. And so um, watchers and um, viewers from all across the world were also interested in uh, actually uh, diving right into the, into the Korean cultures. I think those three aspects uh, really generated this phenomenon, uh, uh, this interest uh, uh, worldwide. So question, are you going to be incorporating any of the games into the classroom? And, and are you going to have the students play along maybe? Well, well, I'm very tempted to actually number all the students from number one to number uh, 460. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take I'll take the number one. So I want to play the the actual role of uh, well, no spoiler, but the player number one that uh, plays an important role. Uh, in uh, into the into the series so at some point uh, i will uh, we will uh, definitely we will definitely play also because i think that playfulness is an important aspect of uh, of my own courses my own pedagogy that that must must be said and the idea that uh, again by playing we can better learn and we can better reflect and so uh, again i'm tempted to number all the students i'm tempted to maybe do some challenges uh, such as the dalgona Cookies, you know that the, the there is a there is a game on uh, on those uh, um, candies uh, that uh, engage uh, that engages the, the the players in the TV series. So we likely we likely play with the uh, imaginary right that is embedded into the TV series, but with one uh, one goal. So 
that uh, well make uh, higher education uh, playful, funny, and learning by playing, learning by really uh, exploring and having fun, and at the same time uh, standing on the shoulders of the giants. And so using some uh, humanistic methodologies and theories uh, and sociological uh, frameworks uh, to better understand why uh, again uh, Squid Game uh, gets so popular. So for me, I mean, right off the top of the show, I mentioned that um, I haven't watched Squid Game. So for somebody who hasn't watched the show and is interested in the course, you know, would you recommend them, uh, you know, taking this course? Or would you maybe only say, you know what, maybe watch a couple of episodes first before enrolling in the course? What would be your advice? Well, good question. Well, technically, there is an application to to up, to enroll into this class. So we expect uh, we expect uh, many many applications. So eventually, for the sake of uh, consistency and for practical reasons, so students will have to apply. And so, if students apply, I take for granted that they all uh, watch the radio game. They all are into that, and they want to into the matter, and they want to uh, dig deeper, right, from a from a methodological perspective. So, firstly, I expect all students that will take this course uh, already watched it. However, rewatching will be uh, an interesting. Uh, Approach. So, I mean, we could uh, rewatch some episodes, maybe highlighting some scenes or something to to reinterpret, to reframe those scenes from the different lens. For instance, I'm putting together a few scenes and episodes based on the ethical and philosophical questions, maybe other other episodes on some sociological matters. So essentially, re-watching, right? And maybe, well, taking into account how the very experience of watching a TV series can change if you have the intellectual means for enjoying, reflecting, comparing what you are watching to something else. And so I think, uh, I think, uh, well, I'll take for granted that they all already did uh, watch a good game, but rewatching will be a totally new experience. Yeah, and that's what I was about to say. I feel like we. It- we, as people who've already seen the show, we've watched it one way with one uh, set, mindset, one framework. But I feel like taking your course is going to open our minds so much. Like you just explained so many different themes, mm-hmm. as we said, embedded into the show. And I think everyone who rewatches it, obviously, I feel like most people who sign up for this course will have already seen the show. But they're definitely going to be exploring some new themes that they never thought of before. Absolutely, absolutely. Digging deeper. Then this is what we teach uh, at the University of Toronto and in general. Media studies is uh, all about also media literacy. So being able to uh, make sense of the media diet that we deal uh, every day. So making sense of and so dig, digging deep into the deep meanings, uh, understanding the, the context. Right, the text is important, the content is important, but the context is even more important. That's why, for instance. Uh, much of the work we will do about uh, Squid Game is about the context 
within which uh, the director essentially uh, created the, the, the whole uh, story. And then uh, implications, political implications, sociological implications, historical implications. So the context, as usual, is more important than the content. As the old and good Marshall McLuhan, the Canadian media pioneer and intellectual say, the medium is the message. And so the medium means uh, all the environment that uh, makes a sense of what we do. And so this is all about media literacy, the ability of making sense of the media environment around us, the environment of media that really shapes the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act. So, so it's not just a, a critique, a critical attempt on this TV series. It's not just a a, a, a critical exercise, but there's also a way to analyze the overall context within which the media phenomena take place. And if we understand the environment, we will be able to survive the media environment, the media vortex, to survive in the media vortex, and maybe, well, uh, be more aware of the environment of media within which we live our lives. We love to hear it. Thank you so much, Professor Paolo Granata from the University of Toronto. So if people want to sign up for this course, they do need to be in the Media Studies program, correct? Correct, correct. They have to be in the Media Media Studies program, which is one of the most popular uh, undergrad uh, programs in the Faculty of Art and Science. Uh, We do have a variety of students from all across the world. And I think... uh, it's a high demand, so because we really need uh, that kind of uh, media literacy skills. Uh, I was talking before the media literacy skills for for then uh, uh, being able to analyze and cope and uh, uh, face uh, the uncertainties of our uh, of our media world. And so uh, we expect that our students uh, again will uh, will apply, uh, and so BMS students. Uh, Students, uh, if you are a U of T student and you really want to delve deeper into this uh, South Korean dystopian drama, uh, you really want to get into this course as it is an advanced course for fourth year students, Squid Game and the Media. It's available starting next year or the next academic year, I should say. One final, one final piece of advice. So I promise no student will be eliminated over the course of the week. <laughs> I would hope not. Good to know. <laughs> I mean, they are paying for your course. <laughs> Thank you so much, Professor, for joining us on Millennial Balance. You're very welcome. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region. Next up, we move to the topic on most people's mind good health, and how the medical system can better support an aging and increasingly diverse population with Pindi Janda of Pharmacast. A doctor's prescription may seem mysterious to the average layman, but it's all very simple to the pharmacist. Accuracy and skill are synonymous with pharmaceutical technique. Well, hi there, folks. Glad you could join me on another episode of Pharmacast with Pindi, your prescription for the latest info in pharmacy. On this series, we'll be tackling the evolving role of community pharmacists and the opportunity that comes with that evolution. I'm Pindi Janda, a pharmacist, an advocate, and the Director of Procurement at Imperial Distributors Canada, and I'll be your host. 
Your local pharmacy offers healthcare advice from a trained professional. In the past, there has been a disconnect between pharmacists and doctors. Think of it as roommates that share a kitchen, but spend most of their time in their own bedrooms. Who wants to go to that party? But as we make our way through a pandemic world, it's becoming evident that increased collaboration between pharmacists and doctors is paying out dividends on many levels. So how do we lean into this momentum? And what are some of the challenges we still face today? What pharmacists fundamentally bring to the table is to be drug experts, forward, backwards, up and down. Joining me to help answer these questions is a man who has his feet firmly planted in both worlds, Dr. Edward Fang. Ed began his career as a pharmacist and has extensive experience working in nursing homes, the Vancouver downtown Eastside population, and consulting for independent pharmacies. He's also made presentations to Vancouver Coastal Health nurses and physicians regarding appropriate use of newer medications and reducing polypharmacy. Never one to be content, Ed graduated from UBC Medicine and is now a family physician resident at Surrey Memorial Hospital. I still remember the day I met Ed as a newly minted pharmaceutical rep, and I went into a pharmacy on Hastings that Ed was working and dispensing at. He was kind enough to entertain my spiel, and we've been friends and colleagues ever since. So thanks, Ed, for joining me. Anytime. I thought we would explore that, Ed, what it's like being now a primary care physician resident and the role of community pharmacy. It's quite different. I've had my pharmacy and medical training both at UBC, and that gives me a very unique perspective. We always talk about change and we always talk about how the role of pharmacies have evolved, but I always believe that pharmacists still have to be, at its very core, drug experts. We have this new inventive way to do patient education, but that's not necessarily what we, from the physician side, look for in pharmacy, especially now with the rise of free apps. Looks like you have a problem best to visit your pharmacist. I find that a lot of physicians and pharmacists are reading the same medical resources. But I wanted to touch on what you as a primary care physician are looking for from a pharmacist. We want the pharmacist's expertise, not just to regurgitate what you can find online. These pharmacists don't know I have a UBC pharmacy background, but it is frustrating even for myself and my co-residents. They ask the pharmacist something, and they just regurgitate what you can find online. And that's not very helpful. You're asking them to be a professional. So what I'm hearing, Ed, is that you would like to hear pharmacists get back to their core and the foundation of being medical experts. And when you're engaging with a physician like yourself, Correct. is show that expertise. Yeah. If I say, I'm pretty sure metformin is going to cause diarrhea, for example. And I ask a pharmacist, should I still prescribe it? I don't need the repeat of the manufacturer's label. There's a lot of, like, I'm really worried about QTC prolongation or this like drug interaction that shows up on Lexicomp on Pharmacare. And then they say, oh, but I spoke with a doctor, so it's fine. Well, physicians want that too. They're like, well, I prescribed these three psychiatric medications. I talked to a clinical pharmacist and they said it's fine. So I have to write, discussed with Pindi, registered pharmacist, that these were fine. But I don't see pharmacists putting their licenses out there and saying, no, I stand by 
my judgment. I love that. Take ownership as a pharmacist. You know, pharmacists will document, spoke to doctor, it's fine to take this, et cetera, et cetera. On the other side, why not have the physician have that faith in you as a community pharmacist is what you're saying, that you are backing up what you said with evidence and confidence. This is what allied healthcare is, is that you put your license where your mouth is. And I don't see that being done. I see a lot of, well, we'll just do whatever the doctor says. The doctor doesn't need you to do whatever he or she wants. They need you for shared decision-making. When Clobazam was short, or spironolactone, or mitodrine, or phenytoin, drugs that don't really have an equivalent class. A lot of doctors called their pharmacies like, oh, we don't have this, what do you recommend? And a lot of them responded by saying, well, I don't know. There is no interchange within the drug classes to phenytoin. And then they're like, whatever you want, doc. Well, I need your medical expertise. There's no follow-up questions. Even neurologists are like, I want to engage because it's not just as simple as starting another epileptic drug. It's what else do I have to look for, right? Like, obviously, we have to start them on something. Right. What do you recommend? Especially when they were stabilized on phenytoin and a lot of them just shut down. When those moments, those small little kind of opportunities get wasted, it's really hard to earn back that trust because when you need the pharmacist and they said, well, I don't know what to do, it's whatever you want, then why do they ever need to call you again? And then I see this erosion of this professional relationship where it just becomes prescription refill because otherwise, from the doctor's eyes, every time a community pharmacist calls you, it's always a problem. It's always like they're out of refills, we don't have this drug, there's a documentation error, and nobody actually looks forward to collaborating with the community pharmacist because it's all just technicalities. And that's like a failing on both sides, really, to not utilize one another properly. But trying to bridge that divide is very difficult, especially alone. Yes, but hey, all change starts with one person, right? It does, yeah. The pharmacist, in common with all professionals, has a responsibility for ethical and conscientious service to the community. We should never lose sight that we've spent at least four years studying medications, while physicians have only spent a fraction of that time. This creates a substantive difference in how we think about these medications. Open lines of communication are essential for better patient care. Ed has a suggestion on how to bridge that gap. I think you should actually sit down and meet face to face. How many people have only talked to each other through the phones and never sat down and said, hey, let's grab a coffee? Or when I did it, I just booked a visit next door. And that's 10, 15 minutes of uninterrupted time that I can talk with them, right? Like trying to squeeze in a coffee date or a lunch, probably not going to happen in a doctor's office. You book an appointment, you'll have 10 minutes with them. That's your elevator pitch. I love it. And yes, elevator pitch. I think you've summed it up perfectly, Ed, because pharmacists have to learn how to be confident in themselves and then know how to really advocate for ourselves as well. And to build that trust, you have to start with small steps. I love the idea of what you said, book an appointment, go see them for five, 10 minutes and say, hey, I'm a real person. Pharmacists need care too, right? <laughs> yeah. Of course. You know, Ed, I really hope you'll come back and visit me again on the Pharmacast. Anytime. I hope you all enjoyed today's show. 
I like to end each episode with a pearl of wisdom, something I call Pindy's Practice Pearl. Today's Pindy's Practice Pearl, you have the knowledge and expertise within you. Doctors need you, so don't be shy. Step up and shine. Pharmacast with Pindy is produced by Everything Podcasts. Subscribe anywhere you discover your favorite podcasts. Thank you. Join us next week as we sample more of the podcast universe and help you find podcasts worthy of your time. That is next week on Discovery, right here on 105.9 The Region. If you missed any of today's shows, you can also look for Discovery where you find your favorite podcasts. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.